Bragadasketele de Brina Catola de Borocota Siki and Agaga, Legeboja Coloda Brina Catola de Baba. Father, we praise and bless the name of Jesus, and we thank you for the privilege of coming together again today to fellowship in the light of your world. We walk in the light, even as you are in the light. We have fellowship one with another. And we rejoice that in this light, revelation, knowledge like never before, understanding grows big in our hearts. Veils full of clarity comes. Yokes and burdens destroyed. Whatever is not planted by God is rooted out. Your people edified, equipped, Jesus glorified. And we thank you that by the end of this service, we'll all be the better for it. In Jesus' precious name. And every believer says a powerful amen. Lift your right hands to heaven. Let's release our faith together as we say these words. I am born of God. I am born of the world. The word of God is my nature. I do not struggle to do the word. I do the word naturally. Therefore today, I will understand the word of his grace. I will be built up. By the end of this service, I will never be the same. Never ever be the same again. In Jesus name. And every believer says a powerful amen. We want to welcome everyone of you connected to the service this evening by way of Kingdom Life Network, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. All of our house centers and campuses all over the world. We're so glad to have everybody connected to the service. Hey guys, we're going to have a great time of studying the word of his grace. And I'm excited about the opportunity to keep learning and growing in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Grab your notebook, grab your pen. Grab your Bible. It's going to be an exciting time of study tonight. But just listen before you sit down. Help me share the video on Facebook, on YouTube, Instagram. Everybody, help me reach out to more people on television. Invite more people to hook up to the service. We're going to have a great time. And just help me get, get the message out. Let more people get to know who our Father is and who our God is. It's exciting. Praise the Lord. All right, you can be seated with your sweet, smart self tonight. Amen. All right, we're still on the series, The Misunderstood God, Part 4. The Misunderstood God, and we're looking at finding God in the midst of evil. Finding God in the midst of evil. John chapter 1 verse 1. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We have been examining how to locate God if God ever is in the midst of evil or why did God do it or why does God allow evil happen to good people. And we've been working on quite a number of these. Alright now, we concluded that the reason why such a question will arise is due to a lack of understanding of familiarity with the written world. Those kinds of questions emerge from experiences those kinds of questions emerge from things, from people, what they've told you, things you have, you know, uh, experienced, or things you have assumed. That's where the questions come from. Questions like, did God do it? Why did God allow it? Why do bad things happen to good people? In John chapter 1 verse 1, Brother John says, in the beginning was the Logos. The word there, the word word there is the word Logos which is where you have study. So we said our study of God is in Christ Jesus. That is when we study Christ, we study God. Our study of God is in Christ Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 1, follow the reading. John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word 
And the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, verse 14, verse 14, John 1, 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Give me verse 18, verse 18 now. He says, no man or no one, no man had seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he had declared him. So all we heard until John the Baptist were prophets, 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 prophets. But the only begotten of God, which is in the bosom of the father. The word bosom is from the Greek word kolpos. Kolpos means to see them together. To see them together. It says he is seen with the father. That Jesus is seen with the father or he is seen through the father. Or the father is seen through Jesus. It says it is Jesus that declares the father. And John uses the Greek word ezegomai. Ezogamai means a personal explanation, meaning Jesus is not explaining to us the Father. Jesus is the Father explaining himself. Jesus is the Father revealing himself. Jesus is the Father redefining what impressions the prophets of the Old Testament gave concerning him. For example, all the prophets spoke about someone. They were spokespersons. They were pointing to someone. Jesus is pointing to no one. He is pointing to himself. He has declared him or he has spoken for himself personally. And we have said that Christ is absolutely God's truth. That Christ is absolutely God's revelation. Christ is absolutely God's truth. So why then do we have lots of assumptions? And one of the things we have detected in the course of our teaching is a lack of deliberate study of the scriptures. A lack of deliberate study of the scriptures. We saw on Sunday the length of time that they invested in the study of the scriptures was never casual or like a hobby or something they did by the way. They were intentional about their study of the scriptures, talking about the book of Acts. We also saw on Sunday, you know, that, um, for example, Jesus teaching non-believers in John chapter 6, where he multiplied the five loaves and two fishes. He spent four days to teach non-believers, what we call evangelism today. Jesus spent four days to teach non-believers. Are you seeing the intensity? When he rose from the dead, he spent 40 days teaching his disciples. Acts chapter 1 verse 3. Acts chapter 1 verse number 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So I let you see on Sunday that some of those services were several hours of intentional teaching. Several hours that were compressed into one line of several days. 
We also saw how the apostles equally taught from the scriptures. They taught in the synagogue and they went from house to house doing Bible study. And we said after church service like this, then they met in the house to study the scriptures. Again, that's how diligent, that's how intentional, that's how rigorous they gave themselves to Bible study. We also saw in Acts chapter 19 verse 9, put it up for me. Acts chapter 19 verse 9. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus, where Paul separated the disciples in the house of one Tyrannus, where he taught the disciples every day for the space of two and a half years, every day. They were doing Bible study every day. These guys were very intentional. In Acts chapter 20, verse 20, put it up for me. Acts chapter 20, verse 20. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. But I've showed you and I've taught you publicly and from house to house. So see it again. They were teaching from house to house and they were teaching in the public. That is, they had a public meeting. Then after the public meeting, they now met in clusters, in houses to deliberate, to ask questions, to ask people to share what they learned so that everybody is grounded in that knowledge. The reason why that will look strange to some people today is because there is a rebranded Christianity handed over to this generation. A rebranded Christianity that has been offered to this generation. Something someone says, don't just stress yourself. Don't just stress yourself. Come to our church. Bible study is 15 to 20 minutes maximum. The rest is drama, talent hunt, you know, comedy, music concert, eating and drinking. We have lunch in church every Sunday, then business talk. Now, this is the kind of rebranded Christianity that has given birth to a lot of lazy believers who are just building their lives on assumption. They are not diligent, they are not studious, and they are not dedicated and committed and intentional about their study of God. Paul now says that for the space of three years, I taught you night and day. We even saw that there was a deliberate attitude. Jesus spent 40 days to teach his disciples after his resurrection. Look at the day of Pentecost. I mean, four, Acts chapter 2, verse 4 to 15. Three hours of teaching 10 verses. Three hours of Bible study. I mean, look at Acts chapter 11, verse 20. Acts chapter 11, verse 20. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Surin which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Next verse. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great multitude number believed, and turned unto the Lord. Next verse. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch. Next verse. Who when he came, and had seen the grace of God, was glad. And exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they will cleave unto the Lord. Next verse. 
For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people were added unto the Lord. Next verse. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Look at the way they gave themselves to Bible study. The church was actively involved and they taught much people. They taught much people. Some people are fighting that we are saying that church ought to be a Bible school. They are fighting because we are saying that church must be a Bible school. They are just joking because this has become a reality already. Churches are Bible schools where believers are built, disciples are raised, ministers are equipped. And it's, it's going to happen not too long from now, like I've always told you. Any church that is still playing games and having a nice time, doing motivation, and you know, ministering the enticing words of men's wisdom and oratory, in a short while, nobody will take them very serious. The dividing line will be obvious between the church of Jesus Christ and man-made institutions that have a brand called church. Because church actually is Bible school. We saw days of teaching in Acts 28-23. Put it up for me. Acts 28-23. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. They taught the whole day of teaching from morning till evening. He started in the evening in Acts chapter 20 till midnight. Eutychus fell and died. They raised him from the dead and continued teaching till morning. So the disciples of scripture were deliberate students. The disciples of scriptures were deliberate students. Teaching services are primary meetings in the local church. Teaching services are primary meetings in the local church. So we have said that our theology of God, therefore, is Christology. That our theology of God is Christology. If that is new to you, then you are also new to our teaching. We are not in a haste. We are taking time to establish people that will last. We are taking time to establish people that will endure. Observe, Jesus rose from the dead and those guys touched him. They touched him when he rose. They felt him. You know, they were close to him. They saw him eat. Yet Jesus ensured that they were grounded in scripture beyond their experience of him. That they were grounded. He didn't allow them to go with just experience. Oh, we taught Jesus, we saw Jesus. He took them through the scriptures beginning at Moses for 40 good days. You know, for many of us, that will be enough to just touch Jesus, see Jesus, and start writing books. How I taught Jesus. When my elbow taught Jesus. How my leg brushed Jesus. How Jesus gave me a hug. This hanky came from Jesus. There will have been all kinds of books all over the place. Ministries opening. The Touch of Jesus Ministry International. You know, there will have been all kinds of ministries springing forth. But Jesus didn't allow them to enjoy the experience of touching him as the validity for them experiencing his resurrection. He took them through the scriptures beginning at Moses and all the prophets. 
he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That is the only way they knew him perfectly. A deliberate study of scripture. All our services are Bible studies. Deliberate study. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets. Beginning from the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You must be deliberate to know God in Christ. You must be intentional to know God in Christ. That's very critical. We said if a man speaks in tongues of men and angels and works miracles and says he does not believe that Jesus is God, that man is not born again. The revelation of God as Christ is the absolute fact of Christianity. The revelation of God as Christ is the absolute fact of Christianity. If that is not true, then all things are not to be believed. First Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. The mystery of godliness is that God was manifest in the flesh. Our view of God is that God is in a man. Without controversy means our common confession. That is what we commonly believe together. Is that God was manifest. It means God became visible. It means God became naked. It means there was nothing more to God that was not revealed in the flesh. These are absolute facts. These are absolute facts of the gospel. Anyone who, who does not believe that is not born again. Anyone who does not believe that is not born again. So those are the facts that forms Christianity. So listen carefully. Absolute is that God was in Christ. That's absolute and it's not up for debate. God was in Christ. I'm waiting for it to sink. God was in Christ. Christ is God in man. So seeing that God became a man is not exactly a problem for many people. Because if you call him the almighty, he should be able to become a man, he should be able to become whatever he wants to become. But to now look at a weak savior is where the people have a problem. To look at a weak savior. Someone who was oppressed, someone who was abused, someone who was, you know, uh, mocked, and someone who was laughed at and scorned at, yet he did not destroy his enemies. Is the challenge people have about Jesus. To make matters worse, he now dies. Intellectuals will think that you are dumb, and to the Jews is a stumbling block. But to us that are saved, that weakness is the power of God. That weakness is the wisdom of God. I told you that the reason why it is difficult to accept is because they view God in human selfishness. 
That is why they find it difficult to accept the weakness of God, which is power. Because they view God in human selfishness. When humanity talks about power, it has to be force, destruction, you know, oppressing people, harassment to humanity, that is power. And that is what they view. And that is why it's difficult for people to accept Christ as God. Because when you see the, the, the demeanor of Christ, it's all like weakness, 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 weakness. And, and, and people don't think God should be like that. People think God should be very destructive or God should be very voracious in his operation. So what did the disciples know from Jesus? What did the disciples know from Jesus? Listen carefully. What did the disciples know from Jesus? He showed them from Genesis to Malachi that God was suffering. Suffering in the hands of men. So when he showed them the sufferings of Christ, if he is Christ, then he is the suffering savior. If he is Christ, then he is the suffering savior. That is why it's a challenge. That is why they said to Jesus, we have no problem with your miracles. Your miracles is power. But that you claim to be equal with God. The Yahweh they taught about was the Yahweh far from them. Talkless of someone disclosed and interacting this way. That is the lacuna. The lacuna was that the picture of God afar they had did not agree with the picture of the Christ they saw who was interacting in this manner. They abuse him and get away with it. They insult him and get away with it. When even a common prophet compared to Jesus like Elijah will not take it. So they couldn't reconcile that this weak person seemingly is God. Hallelujah. That was the issue that those guys had in the time of Jesus. So the only deliverance from this kind of thought pattern, the only deliverance from this kind of thought pattern is systematic teaching line upon line, precept upon precept. That's the only way, a little here, a little there. A pastor must never be a specialist, but teach systematically and deliberately and intentionally. A pastor must be able to teach deliberately and intentionally. So we say that Jesus is God's study. Jesus is God's study. Study in Christ is study in God. Study in Christ is study in God. Last Sunday, we examined the man Job. We said some things, and let me quickly go over it. If you are making notes, these are notes you cannot afford not to have for clarity of explanation concerning Job. For example, we said Job was upright and he was called sincere. But he was very ignorant and presumptuous. He was very ignorant and presumptuous. We said, obviously, Job did not write the book of Job. So somebody was writing that story and giving you a background narration or a background narrative. That is why all through Job's travel, he never mentioned Satan, if you observe. All through Job's travel, he never mentioned Satan. It was the narrator that mentioned Satan. Job never said it was Satan. 
no, always Job kept saying it was God. And we saw the word Satan means accuser, attacker, opponent. Accuser, attacker, and opponent. That a man cannot be his own Satan. So, which means there was a being. There was an invisible being. That is why the narrator now puts in the sons of God. The sons of God there was a being in the background who was responsible for the havoc. So the question is, was there accusation or was there a conversation between God and Job? Was there a conversation between God and Job? Well, I took us to Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 and we used the template of Jesus' temptation. And you saw that Jesus and Satan never had a conversation. That it was an imagery of what Jesus passed through amongst men. And we took time to see that last Sunday. Which means all the writer did in Job was to take an imagery and use imagery to communicate the story of Job. Satan amongst the sons of God in Job chapter 1 so that was written there so that you know that Satan is a supernatural being. Then brings in all the elements of his accusation. Where he says, remove your hand from him and he will curse you. And God said, no, I am not the one that has him in my hand. You are the one showing Satan from the beginning as an accuser and also a liar. As an accuser and also a liar. So we saw all of that last Sunday. So having seen that, it shows that anyone who comes to a quick conclusion about the travails of Job never studied the scriptures through. Never studied the scriptures through. So let me give you an example. A good number of statements people make from Job which amazes me. For example, you shall decree a thing and it shall be established. It was Job. That was a statement made from one of Job's friends who was misleading Job. It was a statement that was made from one of Job's friends who was misleading Job. But people use that statement for prayer. Which that statement doesn't fit into any form of prayer at all. Another statement in Job is you shall lay up gold as dust. You shall lay up gold as dust. When you read all the book together, the whole book of Job, you will not be found quoting Job's friends. Because at the end of that book, Job's friends were rebuked. And Job himself was rebuked. He said, who is it that darkened counsel? So picking those words out of context will do injustice to your view of God. So when you read the Old Testament, you know, a professor and his son, who is also an associate professor, who were atheists said, they agreed within themselves that the reason why they are atheists was because they never read the Bible together. They never, both of them, the professor and his son who is an associate professor, they say the reason why they were atheists is because they never read the Bible together. The man said, when you read the Bible together, 
You'll never have a single confusion about God. When you read the Bible together contextually, you will never have any confusion about God. And that is the truth. Which means, just like in Job's scenario, many things done by a diabolic accuser and deceiver who hides or hid in the background was put on God's account. I will give you a scenario. Look at the issue of Pharaoh. A lot of people have asked me that question, but God handing the heart of Pharaoh. Now listen carefully. I have heard people say that when God wants to punish someone, he hardens their heart like Pharaoh. It is even used for prayer that God will harden people's hearts so that he will show his glory. If you read the story of Pharaoh and Moses, you will find that about 23 times or more where the word hardened his heart was used. And you will discover that in some instance you will read and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. In another instance you will read that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. I will give you just a background. There were three words used for hardened in Exodus. Between Exodus chapter 4 and Exodus chapter 14. Three words were used for the word hardened. One is the word chazak. Chazak. C-H-A-Z-A-Q in the Hebrew. It means difficult. It means difficult. Another word is kwashash. Kwashash in the Hebrew. Q-A-S-H-A-S-H. It means stubborn. The third one is man. Man. M-A-E-N. It means to refuse. So we have chazag. We have kwashash. We have man. We have difficult, stubborn, and refuse. As the meaning of the word hardened. So difficult, stubborn, and refuse. Without having to go far, that shows you that that hardness of, of Pharaoh's heart was man-made. It was man-made. Why then is it said that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? In the writings of the Old Testament, they usually do not use tenses. Please listen carefully. In the writing of the Old Testament, they do not use tenses. And they had a permissive way of saying things in the Old Testament. Many times, inactivity is used as an action. Inactivity is used as an action. Let's give a background. When Moses wrote Genesis chapter 3, for example, one thing you cannot mix up is that from Genesis 1, he presents to you the word good. And God saw that everything he had made and that it was very good. The word twelve, very good. The word perfect or well done. The word perfect or well done. Where the word good news comes from. Where the word good news or well done work. Well done work. He now says that God was not looking for man. That God was now looking for man. 
we know that that puts an imagery in that statement is a figure of speech because God can be looking for man because God is all knowing. However, in that communication that God was looking for Adam is a figure of speech which means in sin and death God was not present. In sin and death God was not present. Notice when he says and God said cause be it's not a cause it's not a cause just like he says the day you eat of it you shall surely die they had not died he didn't kill them he was in love pointing out to them the obvious God was in love pointing out to them the obvious so God judged it that way and God said it that way. That does not mean that God did it. That does not mean that God did it. So, in the language of the Old Testament, just because God's word was involved, he is mentioned in the activity of the opposing party. He is mentioned in the activity of the opposing party. So we have what you call a metonym. A metonym, a figure of speech called a metonym. Like when four people are involved in an activity, then you mention one person to give a general summary of that activity. So when he said, and the Lord had in Pharaoh, if you open that statement up, which I'm going to do for you in a few minutes, it means... The Lord spoke and Pharaoh was hardened. The Lord spoke and Pharaoh was hardened. So it's not God that hardened him. That is why some part will say and Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Lord. Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Lord. So the Lord spoke and Pharaoh was hardened. So that is how most of the Old Testament was written. For example, look at Exodus. We'll do quite some reading now. Exodus chapter 7 verse 3. Exodus chapter 7 verse 3. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Exodus chapter 7 verse 13. Exodus chapter 7 verse 13. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord has said. Exodus chapter 7 verse 14. Exodus 7 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refused to let the people go. Did you observe that? Pharaoh's heart is, is hardened. He refused to let the people go. Look at Exodus chapter 8 verse 15. Exodus chapter 8 verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Are you observing? When Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart 
and hearken not unto them as the Lord had said. Look at Exodus 8.32. Many scriptures good for your health. Exodus 8.32. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither will he let the people go. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Exodus 9.7. Exodus 9.7. And Pharaoh sent. And behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And he did not let the people go. And he did not let the people go. Exodus chapter 9 verse 12. Exodus chapter 9 verse 12. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And he hearkened not unto them. As the Lord had spoken unto Moses. Exodus chapter 10 verse 1. Exodus chapter 10 verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses. Go in unto Pharaoh. For I have hardened his heart. And the heart of his servants. That I might show this my signs before him. Exodus chapter 9 verse 34. Exodus chapter 9 verse 34. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were seized, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants, and hardened his heart, him and his servants. So three things we have seen in the reading. Number one, the Lord hardened Pharaoh. Number two, Pharaoh was hardened. Number three, Pharaoh hardened his heart. The following scriptures will provide us more details. Exodus 7.22 Exodus 7.22 And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord has said. Exodus 8.15 Exodus 8.15 But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Exodus 8.19 Exodus 8.19 Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he hardened not, hearkened not unto them. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Observe the consistent term stating that he did not hearken. He did not hearken. This shows that Pharaoh was exposed to a message which he did not believe. Pharaoh was exposed to a message which he did not believe. In proper Bible reading, we will credit Pharaoh's disobedience to God as though God made him disobey. It's a figure of speech called metonym. Metonym. That's a figure of speech. Moses' verbiage of God hardening Pharaoh's heart is a passive term. A passive term of which God was inactive in. It's a passive term 
of which God was inactive in. Look at Exodus 7.22. Exodus 7.22. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them, as the Lord had said. Look at Exodus 8.19. Exodus 8.19. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord has said. As the signs were being done to make him listen to Moses, he became more difficult. He became more difficult. Look at Exodus 9, 7. Exodus chapter 9, verse 7. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And he did not let the people go. Exodus 9.35 Exodus, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Neither will he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord has spoken by Moses. Notice. What determines the hardening is always about what God had said. What determined the hardening was always about what God had said. Another example of that figure of speech is in Deuteronomy 28.68. Deuteronomy 28.68. You will see that figure of speech. And the Lord shall bring thee into Egypt again with ships. By the way whereof I spake unto thee. Thou shalt see it no more again. And there you shall be sold unto your enemies. For born men and born women. And no man shall buy you. That means he was not sold. It simply means lack of value. Is a figure of speech. Many times are intended. Look at Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 10. Pay attention. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 10. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, surely thou hast greatly deceived these people. And Jerusalem saying, You shall have peace, whereas the sword reacheth unto the soul. Did you observe that? Then said I, Ah, Lord God, surely thou hast greatly deceived these people and Jerusalem. Did you observe? It appears... He calls God a deceiver. However, God is not a deceiver. However, deception and evil was accredited to God in that context. Look at Ezekiel 49. Ezekiel 49. And if the prophet be deceived when he had spoken a thing, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet. And I will stretch out my hand upon him. And will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel. Did you observe that? Those terms used for God are terms used in the absence of him. Those terms are used actively. However, God is actively absent. Those terms are used actively. However, God is actively absent. For example, Amos chapter 3 verse 6. Pay attention. 
Amos chapter 3 verse 6. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it? What the Lord has done there in that verse refers to what he is absent in. The absence. Sometimes his absence in an act, in an action is figuratively used as what he has done. You didn't hear that. Sometimes his absence in an action is figuratively used as what he has done. For example, in salvation, a man's unbelief in the gospel means that man is destroyed. In salvation, a man's unbelief in the gospel means that man is destroyed. So when you see the destruction, the conclusion for an onlooker will be that God destroyed him. But he's actually self-destruct because he failed to heed to what God said. So God is accused actively because it's God is actively not present in the action. So Pharaoh's hardening came because God spoke. Not that God made Pharaoh harden for him to speak. Not that God made Pharaoh hardened for him to speak. Let's see something else. Look at Isaiah 53. Now before we read. A basic Christian theology will show you that Isaiah 53 is about Jesus. That Isaiah 53 is about Jesus. Look at Isaiah 53 verse 1. Pay attention. Who had believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now look at verse 3. Pay carefully, everybody. Carefully look. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet, that is where to take note of now. Yet, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, smitten of God and afflicted. Smitten of God and afflicted. He was despised and rejected of who? Men. So his sorrow and griefs was because of who? Man. So verse 4. How was he stricken, smitten, and afflicted by man? Not God. By man. How was it seen? Look at the word afflicted. Is the word Anna. Anna means to be made to suffer pain. You will see the use of that word afflicted in Genesis 15, 13. Put it up for me. Genesis 15, 13. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. And shall serve them. And they shall afflict them 
for 400 years afflict to put in slavery and bondage to suffer pain afflict to suffer pain the word smitten is the word nake in the Greek I mean in the Hebrew it means to kill if you read that in the four gospels and they say to you that it was God who smote Jesus afflicted Jesus and killed him would you argue yes of course you will argue because if you were looking at the four gospels you know that in the four gospels clearly you have the facts that the killing the afflicting of Jesus was done by men you can even mention names so why then will the prophet Isaiah say it was God look at that Isaiah 53 verse 10 please pay attention Isaiah 53 verse 10 yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him it pleased the Lord to bruise him he had put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand look at verse 5 and 6 of that Isaiah chapter 53 5 and 6 53 5 and 6 look at it very clearly but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquity he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with the stripes we are healed verse 6 all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all look at verse 7 he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Go to verse 10 now. Pay attention to verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Did you see a mix there? A mix of men did it and God did it. Did you see that? Why will they say God did it? Because God did nothing. The inactivity of God in it is what is considered as God's action. Did you see that figure of speech? The inactivity of God is what is considered as God's actions. So because God did nothing, it was said he was afflicted of God. Are you following? And Psalm 22, look at the way David puts it. Psalm 22 verse 1. Psalm 22 verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roarings. He puts it to us like this. What does he mean forsake? The word forsake means abandoned to betray us. Abandoned to betray us. That is what Paul used in Romans 8.32. Put it up for me. Romans 8.32 Glory to God. 
He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Gave him up. The word gave him up means he abandoned him in the hands of betrayers. So my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's an utterance of God's love. It's an utterance of God's love. To abandon himself to the hands of betrayers. To abandon himself in the hands of betrayers. What I just explained for you now means that when you study scriptures, you must read everything together. Many times, a non-actor is mentioned as an actor because of his inactivity is part of what is being said. God not doing anything concerning Jesus' killers and betrayers is an action in itself. God not doing anything concerning Jesus' killers and betrayers is an action in itself. God not revenging is an action in itself. God not giving evil for evil is an action in itself. However, that inaction is written in the Old Testament as an action of God. That inaction is written in the Old Testament as an action in itself. Where God is not received by Pharaoh, Moses said, the Lord had in his heart. <laughs> Did you get that? Where God is not received, the gospel is preached to, to Pharaoh. Pharaoh rejects the gospel of his own choice. The Old Testament now concludes that God had in his heart. You know why? Because if the gospel was not preached to Pharaoh, there will never be an issue of hardening of heart. So the inactivity of God in Pharaoh's choice and the activity of God in bringing the message to Pharaoh put together is summarized as God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Again, that is language. That is language. Don't forget I told you, the Bible is not a heavenly book. The Bible is a piece of literature. And all the rules of literature were applied in the writing of the Bible. A lot of figures of speech that has to be carefully looked into when the book is intentionally read, read together. In inactive, the inactivity of God in the Old Testament was referred to as God's action. Was referred to as God's action. So, in Job's case, Job mentioned God as active when God was inactive. Inactive in the sense of we have seen that God's power does not impose. We have seen that God's power is persuasive. We have seen that God's power is loving and kind. Yeah? God never forces anybody. God never imposes anything on anybody. From Genesis, where God made a man called Adam, God did not stop Adam from sinning. God saw Adam, 
Adam made the choice. Adam made the decision to sin. God knew when all that was happening. God saw when Adam was committing the act. God never interrupted because he has given man the free will to choose. For God to interrupt means God has turned man to a robot. It means God is becoming a tyrant compelling man to do what he wants by force. And that is not the way God functions. See that? So the inactivity of God in Adam's situation, the Old Testament people will say, if they were going to write it, they will say it is God that hardened Adam's heart. See that? That inactivity. Now observe carefully. The greater injustice done to God's word on the earth is seen. That's the greatest injustice. And James tells us in James chapter 1 verse 13. James chapter 1 verse 13. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempted he any man. Next verse. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own loss and enticed. Next verse. And when loss had conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. When he says every man is tempted, he was referring to Adam. That Adam's loss, when it conceived, it brought forth sin. And when Adam's sin was finished, it brought forth death. You know, we can relatively say that James chapter 1 verse 17. Give me from 16. James 1 16. Do not err about God's character, my beloved brethren. Next verse. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither a shadow of turning. We can relatively say that James 1.17, that good and perfect gift there refers to Jesus. Of that act of Christ, God becoming a man, he begat us. He begat us. That act of Christ, which is God becoming a man, it is in that act that he begat us. Look at verse 18. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creature. Of that act of Christ, God becoming a man, he begat us. So within your understanding of scripture, there must be the foundation called Christology. There must be the foundation called Christology. So God is absent in evil in Job's trial. Now did Job mention God? Yes, he did. Which means the Old Testament equally records people's ignorance and presumptions. The Old Testament also records people's ignorance and presumptions. Look at the youngest friend of Job. Among Job's friends. The youngest among them. The youngest friend of Job. His name is Elihu. Who got up to speak. See what he said. I love that guy. He rebuked the three friends of Job. 
Job 37, 23. Job 37, 23. Touching the Almighty. Elihu is speaking. We cannot find him out. He is excellent in power. And in judgment. And in plenty of justice. He will not afflict. He will not afflict. That is Elihu speaking. Elihu said, God cannot afflict. What Elihu was saying is, God can never be behind Job's affliction. He cannot afflict. That's the conclusion of the only person that was right among Job's friends. He will not afflict. Look at verse 24. Job 37, 24. Men do therefore fear him. He respected not any that are wise of heart. The word fear there is men worship him. Men truly worship him. Why? Because he will not afflict. Because he will not afflict. But when your theology is covered by experiences, when your theology is covered by what people said, you are going to read your experiences into Job's story. You are going to read your experiences and use Job's trials to confirm and situate God where God never is. Elihu said, God will not afflict. God will not afflict. So when we now read the New Testament, the only time Job was mentioned in the New Testament, which is the revelation of the Old Testament, the only time Job was mentioned was James 5.11. James 5.11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. That's the end of the matter. That at the end of everything that happened with Job, the only part God played is mercy and pity. Mercy and pity. Elihu said, he will not afflict. What you ought to know about Job is that in all, God was merciful and pitiful. The other friends of Job said, it's because you did this, you did that, that's why God is punishing you. They spoke a whole lot of gibberish. Elihu said, I thought you knew. I thought you knew what you were saying. Since you have been in ministry now for 60 years, you have been in ministry now for 50 years, I thought you knew what you were saying. Then Elihu said, look, concerning the Almighty, he is excellent in power. He will not afflict. Oh, I love Elihu. That should be your study of the scriptures. Isaiah told us there was no violence in Christ. He is not a violent Messiah. He is a non-violent Messiah. So we need to change our view of God. He is not God who changed in the Bible in Christ. Let me repeat. He is not God who changed in the Bible in Christ. That is, he didn't get born again when Christ came. He was a very wicked terrorist in the Old Testament. 
Then when Christ now came, God said, okay, since Jesus has come, I repent, I change my mind. No. He is not God who changed in the Bible in Christ. It only means man's view changed over time. Man's view of God changed over time. So the question, did God do it, should never arise. The question, why does God allow evil happen to good people, should never arise. It should be, did Christ do this? That's the way the question should come. Did Christ do this because Christ is God? Because Christ is God. Why did I say that? Because that's fundamental. That's vital. You know, in Jesus' teaching, his disciples, oftentimes, you will hear him speaking to the Pharisees. They ask him questions. One time, they asked him about divorce. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 verse 4. Pay attention. Matthew chapter 19 verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which met them at the beginning met them male and female? Have you not read is the word anaginosko. Anaginosko means have you not read carefully, meticulously what we just read in Isaiah 53 that we just did exegesis on right now comes as a result of careful reading. You will see it can be this. It can be that. When you are reading carefully. No, that cannot be. No, it cannot be God who came to die that afflicted God. Mm -mm, it cannot be. But in the Gospels, it wasn't God. It was human beings that afflicted Jesus and crucified him. So it cannot be God. It's, when you read, that's how to reason. That's how you reason out the scriptures. Carefully, you reason it out. In Matthew chapter 19 verse 4, have you not read carefully? Have you not particularly investigated the scriptures? Which means he expect that you read things from the beginning to the end. Because what Jesus implied was that if you had read from Genesis, you will have known that what God has done, get a let no man put a Sunday. Sunday morning, I'm going to do some brutal work on that scripture. You don't want to miss what I'll be teaching Sunday morning on the misunderstood God. We are still in this series here. Now look at it. He says, he says, he says, he expected them to have read from the beginning. The word anaginosko, you will see it repeated in Matthew 12 verse 3. Matthew chapter 12 verse number 3. Matthew 12. But he said unto them, have you not read what David did? He expected them to have read what David did. He expected them to have read. So he expected them to read everything. Look at Matthew 22, 29. Matthew 22, 29. Look at, let me start from 20, 27. Matthew 22, 27. And last of all, the woman died also. Next, next verse. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Next verse. Jesus answered and said unto them, You do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Next verse. For in the resurrection, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Which means Moses simply illustrated God resurrection in Christ using marriage. I'll get into that on Sunday. 
God simply illustrated God's resurrection in Christ using marriage. That is, if you had read it well, if you had read it well, you will have seen that from the beginning, from the beginning, see that. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of the living, not of the dead. But to see that, you have to read everything together. And that reinforces everything I have been saying to you in the course of this series. That systematic theology is the only way that you can know God. Systematic theology is the only way that you can know God. Systematic teachings of scripture. So he expects all of us to be students. Go and make disciples of every nation. Never think church is where you are entertained. Delete it. Let it be far from your, your, your tabernacle. The church is a place for discipleship. Matthew 28 verse 19. The church is a Bible school. Matthew 28 9. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Next verse. Teaching them, go teach, teaching them. Go teach, teaching them to observe all things. That is, make them students. Make them students. Go and make students. That is, to make you a pupil. Somebody who is being taught. Like you are in the university of scriptures. That is, make people turn them into students. Even when you go for evangelism. Your aim is not to hit and run. Your aim is that that guy you are talking to is a potential disciple. Your assignment is not just to preach and go. It's to turn him to a disciple. You teach, you teach, you answer his questions, you clarify concepts till he takes his pen and his notebook and start writing. You turn him to a disciple. That's how to do evangelism. Not just excuse me. You know, you will die now. You will not go to heaven. Do you want to go to heaven? The only way to go to heaven is to receive Jesus. Are you ready to receive Jesus or you lift up your hands? No, you, are not, you have not preached. You have not preached. You are just joking. Jesus took unbelievers to preach to evangelize. Four days, night and day. Unbelievers, four days. You are joking. <laughs> it's serious work. Evangelism is not sharing handbills. That one is, is, that one is just far from, the, that one is nonsense. Evangelism is engaging a man, unveiling God to him in Christ, and preaching the gospel to him till his heart is pricked, till he begins to ask questions. And as he's asking the questions, you're bringing clarity, and his persuasion concerning God's character is increasing. And at the end, he even gets born again before you pray. He even gets born again before you pray. That is effective evangelism. It's not hit and run. It's not rushing. Mm -mm. It's not. You see, and when you are being taught like that, one of the things you will learn in Christ is what he did to them in Luke 24, 25. He turned to them and he called them fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Next verse. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things 
and to enter his glory. That is, if you had read the prophets carefully, if you were intentional and deliberate in reading the prophets, this is where you will have arrived at. You will have arrived at an understanding of that all that the prophets are saying is that the Christ will suffer and enter his glory. But since you, in all your reading, did not arrive there, I will take you through. Next verse. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he now expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Look at 44. Look at that 44. Look 24, 44. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Detail, detail. Intensive teaching. What was the resultant effect? 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. What was their experience when the teaching was going on? Look at verse 35. Hey, Anana. Hey, Anana. I'm getting excited. This is catching me. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. Give me 32. 32, verse 32. Luke 24, 34, 32. And they said one to another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? When you get to that place where you really teach and teach and teach, you sit a man down and teach him Christ for four hours. He will be born again before you arrive. But many times, many people don't even know what to teach, number one. Number two, people have not been taught right. There's been a lot of rebranding that has made the message of Christ lost. Many people don't even know what the message is. And that's why we're taking time to painstakingly and tediously take you through all of these so that you are very clear and intentional in your mind in the teaching of God's word. Look at it. They believed the scriptures. That was the resultant effect of that detailed teaching. They believed the scriptures and number two, they were able to interpret it for others. I expect you in your work, in your school, in your places, in your offices, I expect you, all of you, watching me and listening to me and following my ministry, power citizens, I expect you in your family when something comes up, you are able to sit them down and for hours explain precept upon precept. That is the proof of a good local church. Making men students. He taught them how to interpret the scriptures the way Jesus does. The word didache. I know you know that by now. A mode of explanation. By this time you should know didache, didascalos, didascalia, they now know how to explain the Old Testament when Jesus finished with them. Anyone who tells you to abandon the Old Testament is a lazy preacher and an unserious Christian. Because the Old Testament is Genesis to Malachi. 
So if Jesus had only Genesis to Malachi and all his teachings were from Genesis to Malachi, all Paul had was Genesis to Malachi. All his teachings were from Genesis to Malachi. All Peter had was Genesis to Malachi. All the epistles came out of Genesis to Malachi. It means that the good news is in Genesis to Malachi. That means explaining God's character and explaining the true nature of God can be expertly done from Genesis to Malachi. But you can't learn it frivolously. You can't learn how to interpret the scriptures frivolously. It is learned in an intensive, intentional it is learned with a dedication and a commitment. You painstakingly endure. Endure. There's no smile about it. You intentionally endure. You know, yesterday, um, we're, we're, we're readjusting my study because of 30 days of glory and all that we're going to be doing. So mama is working on my study and then they started offloading my shelves. And when they were offloading my shelves, the exercise books that I use for writing my teaching notes and my study notes were all over the ground. Like an entire primary school's exercise book of all their students. I mean, all over the place is exercise books. Then mama looked at me and said, honey, you better start typing your notes in the computer and storing them in the clouds. Do you want to write? Do you want to use the whole books in the world to write? And I laughed and said, I am old school and analog. I like writing in the exercise books, you know. The point I'm making is that you have to be intentional about learning. You have to buy books. If it's computer you want to use good, that's your choice. Me, I love books and I love the Bible, the, the paper Bible where I make my notes. You buy them, you sit down. For example, this is one of my lecture notes. And I have several of them. Several, alright. So you sit down you write the notes as I'm teaching. You circle things. You make side notes. When I'm done with my teaching, you go to that note. You go through the teachings. You listen to the teachings on, on video and on, on audio. You go through the notes while listening to the teachings. And when that is going on, you are meditating. And as it is coming on, more dimensions of understanding will be opening up. That process gets you rooted and grounded. And that must be done in all the subjects that we teach. You can't just come and listen for five minutes and say, what about, what about, what about Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4? What about, what about? There's nothing like what about in Bible study. If you are what about, you better go about. Leave us alone. We are not what about here. Here we are intentional. We are committed. We are students and painstakingly and patiently we follow and follow and follow till we arrive at an understanding. Because there is endurance required with sound doctrine. And let me tell you, if sound doctrine is too hard for you, get ready. Charlatans and robbers will use you to shine and polish their shoes. Charlatans and robbers will use you to polish their shoes. They will read Psalm 32 for you and the blessings in it and they will tell you to sow $32 for 32 blessings. Since you say this is tedious and hard, go the easiest way. 
And at the end of the day, you'll be so frustrated. You will have arrived at being cheated and you will have been messed up and totally abused and, and, and made, to, to, if made a fool of. Because the only way to go about the truth is to be willing to endure and sit down and be a student and enroll as a lifetime student in Bible school. Bible school is church. Bible school is teachings. Some of you have been very, very intentional. Some of you have followed me every broadcast. 10 a.m., 12 noon, 6 p.m., 10 p.m. As if you have no job. Some of you, even in your offices, you are working, you are listening. You miss no broadcast. You make notes and you encourage more people. You are intentional. That's the way to go about it. You become intentional about Bible study. There's no quick fix here. Just answer me quickly. Answer me quickly. Answer me quickly. Why don't you go and study quickly? Go and study quickly. Why don't you go to the university and tell your lecturer, graduate me one week. Graduate me quickly. I came here for, I want to be a medical doctor. Look, lecturer, graduate me in one week. Graduate me. How do I operate somebody? Tell me quickly. What about, what about, what about Isaiah? What about, what about, go and tell a lecturer in medical school. Uh, how do I open the person? Let me just operate on him now, now. Why don't you do that? And those are secular, natural things. We're talking about spiritual things. We're talking about words which the Holy Ghost has written. We're talking about eternal truths. We're talking about the revelation of God. You can't afford to be casual. You can't afford to be casual. Some of you, laziness has allowed you to enrich robbers. Laziness has allowed you to make people make caricature of your Christianity. You refuse to sit down and be studious about the knowledge of God. You refuse to sit down and be studious. In Luke 24, 25 as a roundup, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures. I mean Luke 24 verse, verse 25. Luke 24, 25. Fools, slow of heart to believe. All that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory, into his glory, and beginning patiently, painstakingly, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets. He expounded unto them in all, in all, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He did not expound to them the things concerning post-corona world. <laughs> That's the latest fallacy that you begin to see all over the place. How to defeat corona. Ten keys to surviving post-corona. A pastor preaching that has no business with the pulpit. The message of Christ is ageless and timeless. It, it, it is superior to times and seasons. You won't see that in any of the apostles' churches. During the days of Brother Paul, there was famine all over the world so that the church in Jerusalem sent relief material. But no apostle preached on how to survive recession. No apostle even made reference to it in their teachings. They taught Christ, Christ, 
Christ, Christ, irrespective of the times, irrespective of the seasons, and irrespective of the circumstances. None of them was found preaching circumstantial messages. They unveiled Christ and him crucified, which is the power of God unto us that are saved. Stand on your feet. That's all I got for you tonight. Oh my goodness, I feel like, you know, I tell you, Sunday morning first service, we're going to have a blast as we continue on this series. I'm not yet through with it. I think we will still be here on Sunday morning and see how far we're able to go. Stand on your feet. Lift your right hands up. Father, thank you for everybody. Under the sound of my voice, men, women, boys and girls around the world, a people whose hearts you have stirred up, a people whose hearts you have opened up to the truth of the gospel. I thank you for the privilege to preach and to declare the truth of your word today. I decree that the revelation of Jesus rises big in the hearts of viewers around the world, all of them in our house centers and campuses, everybody following on Facebook, YouTube, Kingdom Life Network, and all over the world. I rejoice that an army of men that are devoted, dedicated, and passionate, and sold out to Jesus are rising. Preachers and teachers of God's word. Men that will go around the world making disciples everywhere. Manifesting the savor of God's grace. Lekato Megarita Maloto Munga Zekia Namata Lebo Jakele Namamande Ledebo Brogodo Sakiana In the name of Jesus Revelation knowledge is gifted you. Revelation knowledge is gifted you. Revelation knowledge is gifted you. Barriers are broken. Obstacles are broken. I rebuke sickness. I rebuke disease. I rebuke infirmity. Satan, get your hands off my viewer today. And I command sick bodies, be healed. Be healed right now in the name of Jesus. And we praise the name of Jesus. We bless you, Father, for great grace that is released upon your people today. And we thank you for the opportunity to learn and to be blessed by your word. In Jesus' precious name. Oh man, I feel, I, I feel like really dancing all over this place. Now listen to me everybody. Listen quickly. 30 days of glory. 30 days of changing your entire world. July the 5th to the 2nd of August. July the 5th to the 2nd of August. The adverts will soon be on my Facebook page. Let's, let's, let's create a global commotion with the adverts. Let's create a, a, a frenzy all over the world so that we can attract a lot of people to follow the teachings daily in July. Every day, Monday to Friday, I mean Monday to Saturday, 6 to 8 p.m. GMT plus 1. Sunday mornings, 8 a.m. GMT plus 1 and 11 a.m. GMT plus 1. The second announcement here, before I take up your offerings, is that in the, in the 30 days of glory, there's also the Power Bible School. The Power Bible School is going to run throughout the month and for this is for people who really want to learn the message and learn doctrine and be equipped as ministers of the gospel, you know, with, a, with an intentional commitment in the month of July. The Power Bible School begins from the 6th of July. And in order for you to be registered in as a student, you need to, to either go to the portal or just shoot a mail to me, especially those of you having difficulties, either to register or to pay your fees, shoot a mail to me, Dr. Abel Damina at yahoo.com. Dr. Abel Damina, Drabel Damina at yahoo.com. Some people are helping me to type it on the screen. And then when you shoot the mail, we will follow you up and help you get registered and get you, you know, organized so you can get started with the teachings in the month of July. So July is packed. Going to have Bible school running and 30 days of glory running. Soteria season 7. 
Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Because of the 30 days of glory, on Sunday I'll be taking a special offering. We have a budget we, we, we must meet to be able to allow us to have everything we need to run the 30 days of glory. We have quite a budget. So I wanted to pray about giving a one-time offering on Sunday. Pray about it. Think about it. Speak you know, to the Lord about it. And uh, I want your generosity to, to be stirred up. We're going to give generously on Sunday towards the 30 days of glory. And all the pastors in the house center help me, you know, explain further in the houses. And all of our campuses, campus coordinators, help me also reach out to our members all over the world towards the 30 days of glory. I'm looking forward to such a, a time that you will never forget for the rest of your life in the month of July. It's going to be online. It's going to be on air. It's going to be on TV. It's going to be on radio. Everything will be live. And like I said, at the end of teaching, I will sit down on a set right here in the service and then we will answer phone calls. We will answer questions arising from salvation and we'll bring clarity and then pray. So it's going to be two sessions, teaching and the interactive session to deal with questions and to answer all the queries that people will have. We want at the end of July, anybody that follows the teaching not to be in the dark any longer about the full assurance of his salvation in Christ Jesus. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want to take up your offerings and I want to thank all of you who have made a commitment to the gospel and a commitment to Jesus Christ and a commitment to this ministry never to keep your resources away from this ministry. Secondly, I want to thank all of you that have grown in the things of God to know that when a ministry blesses you, you owe that ministry to honor the labor of that ministry. It's sound understanding of scripture that brings that level of sacrificial commitment. And it is with that in mind, I'd like you to package a good offering tonight, everybody. We want to give to the work. We want to give to the world. We want to give to this ministry tonight an offering of joy, an offering of delight, and an offering of honoring Jesus for all that he has done for us. Lift up your offerings, both in the houses, campuses, and online. And those of you on television, just lift it up. I want to pray over the offerings right now. Father, thank you for everyone that has been stirred up by Christ. Everyone that has come to a place of understanding their responsibility. And everyone that is willing in this day of your power to make their resources available. We give in faith tonight. We give with joy. Our offerings are a sweet smell before you. We are intentional about our giving. And we thank you for the privilege to make a difference in the gospel through our resources. Thank you, Father, that our offerings tonight are a sweet smell before you. And thank you for the blessing that comes to the body of Christ and the blessing that comes to the advancement of your kingdom through our giving. So I pray for every giver tonight. My God supplies all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Great grace is upon you. In the name of Jesus, great grace is upon you. You have sufficiency in all things. You have sufficiency in all things. My God supplies all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. In the name of Jesus, receive the supply of your needs right now. Receive the supply of your needs right now in the name of Jesus. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. You will always, you will always have sufficiency in all things as you continue to abound unto every good work. Great grace is upon you today. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Praise God. What a joy. What a joy. All right. All our campuses, we live in the hands of our coordinators. All our house centers, we live all of you in the hands of the house pastors. And listen, everybody, before we go, from Sunday to Sunday next week, 
the entire Power City ministry plus those of you online is going to be a week of prayer. The whole of next week is a week of prayer for the 30 days of glory. For the salvation of men, for people to come to the knowledge of the truth, for you yourself to grow in the knowledge of Christ. And then also you pray for me for utterance. You pray for me for strength. You pray for me for clarity. And you pray for me to be strengthened with might through the process. So it's going to be a week of prayer the whole of next week. Now listen, if you're not in a Power City campus or where you are, there's no Power City campus and you want to join a group of brethren to pray the prayers in the course of next week, all you need to do for me is shoot me a mail, Dr. Abel Damina at yahoo.com with your WhatsApp number. An email with your WhatsApp number asking me to include you in a prayer group that you will pray with the whole of next week. Shoot that mail to me tonight. We will organize you and you will get a response from us and we will add you to WhatsApp groups where you can pray the whole of next week with brethren, together with brethren in the prayer. Just shoot that mail to me tonight. Dr. Abel Damina at yahoo.com indicating you want to be you want to be attached or you want to be assigned to a WhatsApp group for prayer as we pray the whole of next week. I'll be expecting to hear from everybody. Hey guys, we love you and it's a joy to serve you the grace of God and thank you for what we collectively do together for the kingdom of God. I'm excited tonight. Enjoy the rest of your evening and be blessed. Amen. Glory to God.
Jesus.